Welcome back to the Future of Feeling podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Ugalik-Phillips, and I'm bringing you interviews with some great minds helping build empathy in our tech-obsessed world. Today, I'm sharing a conversation with someone whose voice you may recognize. Anya Kamenetz is an education correspondent for NPR. She's the author of several books, including The Art of Screen Time, which came out in 2018, and a new one set to come out soon called The Stolen Year, about the impact of COVID on kids. She talks to us about how to be a positive media parent, what it's like to be an education reporter in the time of Zoom school, and a lot more. I'm going to be honest, I recorded this one in my car after having a little bit of a mom brain moment, but Anya was a great sport and we had a great conversation and I hope you enjoy it too. My name is Anya Kamenetz and I cover education for National Public Radio and I'm a podcaster and the author of several books. Um, most relevant to this conversation is The Art of Screen Time. With that work that you've done, um, especially with thinking about screen time, um, where do you see empathy come to play in that work? You know, a lot of my work has been looking at how different apps and tools can affect or encourage empathy um, in kids or mm-hmm. adults that use them. But obviously, yeah. you know, empathy comes up in a lot of different ways um, in our relationships with tech. So where do you see that in your work? Yeah, it's a super interesting question. So um, I think that there's really two ways that it comes up majorly when I'm thinking about kids and parents and screens. Um, and the first one is really from parent to child. So uh, one of the things I talk about is I talk about, you know, parenting styles with regard to the dimensions of warmth versus structure. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of us kind of understand that, you know, we're kind of trying to index high on both both dimensions. We're trying to be very warm and very affirming and also kind of firm and, and structured and get kids predictable patterns and limits. Um, and the problem with screens very often is that um, people kind of swing wildly between a lot of limits and no limits, but what we don't always know how to do is give uh, warmth and affirmation to our kids around their media use. And that's really because of a lack of good messages and culture around how how to be a positive media parent. So, you know, if you're thinking about how to raise a reader or how to raise a kid who loves sports or the outdoors or even um, you know, uh, volunteer work or in your religious tradition, there's lots and lots of affirmation and information about how to do those things. But when it comes to um, technology, we don't really have that model of something that's like a soccer mom, but for Minecraft. Right, um, right. So <laughs> so empathy, um, you know, really starts with kind of like looking at your kids' interests online or with media and understanding um, what it is that they like about the things they like. How can you share these things with them? How can you have a positive connection maybe with some things that you like? Is it a song that you love or a show that you love um, or characters that you love? And so that, you know, we're really building bridges with our kids and um, and establishing that rapport where we can kind of understand, okay, what are they getting out of this? Because if we don't know that, then we are not going to be able to judge very well whether it's playing a positive or a negative role. So I think that's kind of number one. And, you know, an example that I would use, there's a really provocative um, paper that was published 
around, um, you know, there's kind of an observed reaction, explosive response um, for some kids that are not as emotionally well-regulated. Um, when you take away the screens, sometimes they really lash out. Um, and that's kind of seen as a problem behavior or a sign of, you know, problematic media use. Um, but in this one paper that I read, um, the the researcher is really turning that around and saying, you know, kids who have sensory issues, kids that have, you know, the world is overwhelming to them, maybe using technology to create um, a cocoon, a sensory cocoon that is predictable um, from a physical, you know, um, sound and light and, you know, it may be loud to us, but they know exactly what's going to happen next. And when you yank them out of that, it's really kind of akin to like, taking away kids' security blanket or something else where they've constructed a safe environment for themselves. And so the idea of lashing out or lashing back is like pretty, it's pretty obvious why that would happen. Um, it's not necessarily because of something pathological. It's because they've done something that's compensating for that, for something they need. And then you kind of just drag them out of it and said, oh, it's time to have dinner. You've got to get put that away. So that's an example of how we can have empathy with our kids. A lot of adults could probably relate to that that's kind of what we're doing with scrolling on social media sometimes or looking at TikTok videos, you know, we're kind of creating yeah. a little cocoon to self-regulate and you kind of know what to expect because the algorithm gets to know you. And I can imagine, I mean, I can, I can empathize with a kid who feels safe in, you know, that kind of situation. Well, that's exactly right. And I think, you know, we have, um, so, you know, that's where we kind of move away from like pathologizing what our kids are doing to really understanding it. And maybe, you know, maybe you want to encourage a different pattern of behavior, but to recognize that it's not always easy to do that. The piece about really getting to understand what your kids are doing and why. Um, someone I interviewed for the book, actually, I remember her saying it should become part of the dinner table conversation you know, what did you do at school today? But then also kind of what did you do online today? What did you see online or in your game that was interesting or that upset you? Just kind of making that part of the dinner table conversation since that is such a big part of kids' real life now. Yeah, that's a suggestion I have in my book. For the parents out there wondering what it looks like in practice to be a positive media parent, well, it looks like setting things up in advance where it's going to be relatively predictable and talking to them about the transitions and how we make transitions easier, um, asking them what they think they would like, um, having having certain set times for using the, the, the technology so that it's not a surprise when you're taking it away, and mm -hmm. giving warnings, giving timers and timers. And what about teaching kids to have empathy for each other while they're online? Anya had some good insight into that, too. So then, you know, the other dimension of, of empathy, of course, is how do we encourage our kids to be empathetic towards others online? Um, and I think that's, um, it's been a really interesting year, of course, where parents have been, you know, observing a lot more of what their kids are doing, and kids maybe have maybe doing more socializing um, online than, than previously. And so, you know, kids, trash talk and they haze each other and they prank each other and tease each other um, in inside games like Roblox and Minecraft. And so helping them kind of understand why, um, you know, there's similar rules of behavior or treatment of other people, whether or not you're playing a game, um, I think it's a pretty important thing to talk to kids about and kind of, um, you know, help them model that. So in my book, I talk about a lot of the concerns, obviously, with technology and empathy. 
um, but also potential avenues of hope or where things, you know, happen in positive ways. You know, people gather online in ways they might not be able to um, elsewhere. There's, you know, positive potential with virtual reality, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can you think of a time during this time that you've noticed text facilitating empathy? Well, I mean, I think, uh, like I said before, I think it's been a real lifeline for uh, children to connect with each other and um, Mm -hmm. be able to be, you know, with their friends even when they can't be with their friends. And, you know, my daughter uh, instituted a ritual of the virtual sleepover, which was basically just chatting with her friends (laughs) late into the night. And, um, you know, and being able to maintain friendships with people that, um, weren't necessarily going to the same school or in the same place, I think was pretty important for them. Yeah, I love that idea of a virtual sleepover. Did they, like, put on their pajamas and everything and eat snacks yeah. together, too? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Oh, that's great. That's pretty great. When you think about the future of empathy, especially with kids um, as they're growing up in this increasingly, you know, tech-saturated world, how do you feel about that about that future do you think we're doing enough to ensure empathy is a priority or um well it depends what aspects of empathy we're talking about i mean i think we're having a kind of culture-wide debate about uh how we incorporate a wide variety of aspects of types of people and perspectives into the classroom in terms of like Mm -hmm. how we learn about history i think you know there's certainly a very big um emphasis right now on social and emotional learning and healing from the the impact of the pandemic when it comes to mental mm-hmm. health and dispelling the, the shame and the stigma uh, potentially of mental health. But, you know, whether we take that extra step of sort of, um, you know, going from empathy to kindness and actually functionally helping people, um, it, it sort of remains to be seen. I think there's a lot of work to do on a society-wide level, and we're having a lot of social divisions right now that make it hard to empathize with people on the different um, sides of things. The main thing that I, I hear parents ask about is the screen time and the social, social media connections. They see their children creating these relationships or maintaining them or making um, new friends, learning new things from people they might not otherwise meet. But at the same time, they worry about lack of ability to I guess, communicate emotionally in person. I interviewed a teacher who said that, you know, her her kids in her class, it was a fifth grade class, um, they had a really hard time communicating with each other, you know, face-to-face, doing group projects. And her thought was that it seemed to have a lot to do with they would rather be, you know, on their phones or iPads. And that's anecdotal, of course, but um, that seems to be a concern that a lot of parents have. You know, I think we're all used to... to we're used to seeing the things we're used to. And, um, Mm. you know, I would compare that to the debate over, you know, cursive, right? Should we teach handwriting Mm. to children or should we teach them typing? You know, the point is that you can communicate and the point is that you can communicate in the ways that are functional and being used. So, you know, Mm. if we're living in a world where you're working remotely, you're you're networking on Twitter, you're meeting your husband or your wife on Twitter, on the internet and you need to be able to communicate and make relationships, form relationships in the virtual world as well as the real life world. Um, You know, it's sort of arguable to me that, you know, someone who really is excellent at expressing themselves 
in a virtual context, perhaps in writing, and but they're not as good in in the in the real world. You know, is that something that needs to be um, remediated or accommodated, or is there some some kind of combination of both? I think it's sort of an open question. I love that. I I do, and and you know, I'm asking everyone that I'm talking to to give a little bit of hope for the future, and I feel like all of your answers have been full of that. I appreciate your approach to not necessarily pathologizing things that are different. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, that to me shows a, shows a lot of empathy for the kids who are growing up uh, in these times. Um, yeah, I and, think that's exactly right. I mean, they have no control over the world that we created for them. And, um, you know, the other thing is, even so, like, if, let's say that, the, you know, the teachers want to, um, you know, they want to facilitate kids interacting in person, and that's great, and that's fine. But, you know, not to say, like, there's something wrong with you because you'd rather write someone a text message. Right. The last thing is just for you to plug whatever you'd like to plug. I would love for you to talk a little bit about your book. So my upcoming book, well, the, the book that's possibly most relevant to these listeners is The Artist Screen Time, which came out in a paperback um, edition in 2020. And I'm also working on a book right now about the impact of the pandemic on children. So look out for mm-hmm. that in 2022. Big thanks to Anya Kamenez for coming on the show. And thank you so much for listening to the Future of Feeling podcast. Um, If you want to know more about Anya's work, and you definitely do, you can find her at Anya Kamenetz, that's A-N-Y-A-K-A-M-E-N-E-T-Z dot net, uh, and also on NPR. This podcast is produced by me, Caitlin Ugalik-Phillips. As a reminder, it's a limited series right now, but I'd love to keep it going, and you can help by following and sharing it with a friend. 